Hey, good morning, everyone. It is live time, 11 o'clock sharp, and I wanted to uh, just say good morning to you, and I hope you're ready for Bible Study Live today. I know I am. I've been preparing for this all week and just excited to get to uh, to turn the page to Luke chapter 3 today. So welcome to all of you who I know are uh, listening. Uh, Lenora, thanks for dropping in here. Uh, those of you who listen every week, I am so uh, thankful for your participation. It means so much to me that you want to take the time to really get in deep with the Word of God. And this week, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get in deep with the Word of God in Luke chapter 3. But I want to say thank you, not only to those of you who kind of join me live every week, but but I know lots of people are watching this after it's recorded. And I know it's difficult for everyone to just drop everything they're doing for one hour and spend the whole hour with me. So I know sometimes you have to leave, and, and that's okay. Uh, I'm so thankful for a format that saves this into a video that you can watch over and over or, you know, take notes and watch again later at whatever time it's convenient for you. But uh, this morning, it's just a beautiful day. I am, I'm excited about today. It's Thursday, as always. And, you know, this morning I was up early, and I went outside, and I just took, uh, took some pictures of my magnolia tree. The magnolia tree is really blooming right now, and it's just so beautiful. Magnolia is my favorite tree, and I'm blessed to have one here uh, on the property. And so I, I was out early this morning. I noticed how beautiful and cool it was. Sylvia, good to see you, Judy, and Dennis, thanks for joining in. And it was just the cool air out there early. It just, just I had to stop and take a picture so I posted those pictures on the Brad Riley Ministries page. You can take a look at them. Uh, just, the, no, it just reminds me of the beautiful mercy of God, how his mercies, I was reminding, his mercies are new every morning. Morning's my favorite time of day, for sure. And so when I can get outside early in the morning and just enjoy it, uh, it's really, really important. But this morning, I was kind of, didn't have a lot of time outside, but just a little bit, just enough to kind of, Take the breath of fresh air and take that breath of the magnolia blossom scent. And wow, it was beautiful. And so now what I'm getting a scent of that's beautiful is my cup of coffee. So take a moment and grab yours. Maybe you've already got yours ready. Good to see you, uh, Beverly. Uh, this morning I have my Phil Robertson happy, happy, happy mug. And it is filled this morning with something that makes me happy, happy, happy. And that is Irish cream. Saturday was a great day. Saturday, I got to get my hair cut. Look at that. No more long wings out here. Man, it feels good to finally get a haircut after three months. But then after the haircut, finally got to go down. And uh, shout out to Diana Miller, who cuts my hair. She's on here sometimes when she's not working and watches them later. Thank you, Diana. But uh, got to go down to the Spice Merchant and get some new coffee. I was running out. Hi, Rhonda. And... Uh, you just, uh, you, you haven't lived until you've tasted Irish cream from the Spice Merchant. It's really good. So this morning, cheers. I hope you have a coffee or a beverage of your choice with you for our study of the Word. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. I'm going to invite you to get out your prayer cards or and or put it on your computer screen, whatever you have. And let's pray our prayer before the study of scripture today. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. 
Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. I love that. I love that prayer. So thank you for praying it with me. Hi, Vicki. Good to see you on here this morning. Uh, you know what I did? I, I kind of made a mistake here. I forgot to turn on. I'm having trouble getting into a sync here. I really I just forgot to turn on my uh, my audio to, to make this podcast. Uh, so I've got the video going, and that's great, but uh, and I get so busy. It's Thursday morning. If I just don't get a routine since I started working a couple of weeks ago, if I just don't get the right routine, I'm forgetting a couple of steps. And so I'm trying to real quickly while we're talking here, see if I can't just uh, open up a player and hit new audio recording. And let's hit. It's working. Yay. Let's hit record. So now I've got a recording of this for the podcast. Uh, I'm a little behind on the recording of the podcast. Those that you listen to it on the podcast, since I started work a couple of weeks ago with Cozine Memorial Group, boy, I'm, I'm uh, trying to get into new rhythms and I'm a little behind on the podcast, but I will get those up, I promise, soon. Uh, but anyway, we're on video live, so let's go. Uh, Luke chapter 3. Now we're going to look at the first 20 verses, the narrative of... John the Baptist coming into his ministry. And as we look at it, I want you to follow along with me. I'll read from uh, the first 20 verses from the uh, Revised Standard Version in my ancient Christian commentary. And I, I think we'll get through all of this. The, the, the points that I want to make are all right here. We don't usually, sometimes we do 20 verses. Seems like a lot to me compared to how slow I usually go. But but let's let's listen to this now and Let the word of God speak to us. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Atria and Trachonitis, and Lysanus tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region about the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And he said, therefore, to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits that befit repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit 
is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitudes asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, He who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than is appointed to you. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Rob no one by violence or by false accusation. Be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all men questioned in their hearts concerning John, whether perhaps he were the Christ, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, and the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he shut up John in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Crystal, thanks for joining us this morning. Good to see you. This is so much. That's a long passage, but but let's take it in. Let's take it in chunks. And if it spills over into next week, well, so be it. But there's so much we could go into here. I want to begin with uh, noting how careful Luke is. Luke is always careful to give us a historical setting. Did you notice that in the beginning passage, of first six verses, Luke uh, he notes and he dates this coming out of John the Baptist from the desert into his public ministry by no less than about six different ways to date it in time, by who's ruling and who's in the high priesthood and things like that. That's very careful. Luke is a historian who wants to make sure everything is very carefully annotated and proven. So we know that John the Baptist is coming out somewhere around the year 29 A.D., calendars weren't perfect then, and it's very hard to go back and hit the exact date. Um, but, but it's right around there based on these historical things that he has noted about who's, in, who's who in the kingdom of God. Now, these Herods that he mentions, uh, the Herod Antipas and Herod Philip, these are the sons of Herod the Great, who was, uh, you know, king when uh, Jesus was born. That was their father. And so when he died, his kingdom was split up between three of his children, and they began to reign over different parts of uh, the Holy Land in that area. Of course, they were under the Romans, but actually one of them, whose name was Herod, uh, they all called themselves Herod, Herod, Philip, his name escapes me. But one of them was the third, was so bad that he was removed from office after about four years. I mean, he was bad. The people petitioned Rome to have him removed. And he was kind of over the area of Judea. And uh, so he notes here that Licinius, or Licinius, is uh, in that position, who's not really a son of Herod. The son had been removed. But I give you that little history just to tell you that this is important. We know that this is right preceding the public ministry of Jesus. 
And we'll get into that in the next few chapters. But John's ministry, it's time. And he hears, hi, Debbie. I just noticed Debbie's on here. Thanks. Good to see you. Uh, he noticed, notice how John, it says here, Luke says that John heard the word of God. The word of God came to him so that he would be Antipas. Sylvia is reminding me of the name of, of one of them. Thank you, Sylvia. Um, and so it says the word of God came to him. What does that tell us about, hi Brooke, thanks for watching today. What does that tell us about the closeness that John the Baptist had in his spirit with Almighty God, living since coming to manhood, living in the desert. We learned that, that he went to live in the desert uh, from the time of his manhood on until his public ministry. Hi, Pastor Cecil, good to see you. He had to have an incredible closeness with the Holy Spirit that he could hear the word of God coming to him. And he knew it was time. It was time to move out. It was time to move back out into society and begin his public ministry. And that public ministry was to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, Luke quotes the prophet Isaiah here. And uh, it's a very famous quote. Mark does the same thing in his gospel. And he's quoting uh, that famous passage that talks about the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's John. And he's crying out in the wilderness and he's coming out into the, to the uh, Jordan River Valley and he's proclaiming uh, this, this call to a baptism of repentance. And by doing so, he's, Isaiah says, he's, he's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah that he's preparing the way of the Lord. That he's actually, uh, the, the, pro, the proclamation by Isaiah was, the prophecy was, Every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be made low, every uh, crooked path shall be made straight, and every rough place shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's very important, that all flesh. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Now, something kind of fascinating about this preparation that, that history teaches us that... Uh, Whenever a king wanted to take a tour of his kingdom, uh, he would send out a courier ahead of time to make the pathway prepared, make sure the roads were in good condition, make sure there wasn't uh, you know, a bridge out or whatever. That, that, that was a very common role for a courier of a king to do. In fact, there's even a modern day, fairly modern day, uh, 20th century version of this. The commentator, Bible commentator William Barclay, who was writing a lot in the 1950s and 60s. In the 1950s, of course, that was the era of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth in England. William Barclay is, is Scottish from the Church of Scotland. And he was writing that in, uh, he, I don't know if he was there personally or whether he just uh, heard about this, but when all the guests had been seated in Westminster Abbey, where they were going to crown Elizabeth, Queen of England, after all the guests were seated and just before the coronation were to begin, before the procession of the queen, out came all of these, uh, these uh, I guess you could call them uh, servants, who came out and quickly uh, vacuumed the carpet, the red carpet, and brushed it, swept it, vacuumed it to make it perfect for the queen to walk down. Now, that's been happening for centuries. 
It was the, it was the custom. And so John the Baptist, we see in the life and his, his coming to fulfill the words of Isaiah, he's preparing not the roadways, not the carpets, not the, not the actual literal mountains and valleys and hills, but he's, he's calling us to prepare. He's calling everyone there, and us as well, of course, to prepare the roadways of our hearts. We see that in his words. So it says multitudes came out. There's a fever pitch in Israel about this time. We talked about that a little bit when we saw the birth, the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Everybody is expecting this is the time when Messiah is going to come. This has been building. There had actually been false messiahs in the preceding decades. We learn about that in the book of Acts. But everyone's just on on, on edge, believing, I think Messiah is going to come. Messiah is going to come and deliver us from the Romans. That's what they thought, anyway. And so into this fever pitch, when they hear about this John the Baptist, it's clear that they come out for a couple of reasons. Number one, to see this guy. He's a, he's a real case to look at. I mean, he's been living in the desert for probably, I don't know, 15 years, wearing rough uh, clothing, you know, rough skins of animals, and he, no hair. I mean, hey, you, you see me fresh haircut three months. Can you imagine what I'd look like if it had been 15 years? Wow. I don't even want to think about that. But uh, John had to look horrible, had to look scary, quite frankly. And he, he comes out and he starts preaching in these communities down by the Jordan River Valley and word spreads and multitudes come to him. It tells us a lot of people are excited about the coming of Messiah about a change in their life, about a change in their world. There's a huge parallel to the time we're living in today. And in a little bit, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about some parallels here for the world and the time we're living in today. Uh, but I don't want to get there just yet because I also want to talk about what is, what is this ministry of repentance what is repentance? What does repentance really look like in our lives? So the people are wondering that too. They're coming to him and, uh, and they're looking to him for answers. And it's fascinating that, he's, that he greets them the way he does. Now, when I hear that brood of vipers, you know, I, I think of Jesus that one time when he's talking to the Pharisees. Uh, but this isn't just Pharisees. This is the people. The people are coming. There's undoubtedly some uh, some tax collectors we read about a little later. There's actually soldiers. There's Romans in this group. There's actually Gentiles, soldiers. Um, there are some, undoubtedly, some leaders and just general people. And they're all coming. And he, he basically says to everybody, the crowd, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? A couple important things there. Number one, why does he call them a brood of vipers? What is a viper? A viper is a snake, okay? And it, it's a deadly snake. Um, I'm not a snake expert. In fact, I can't stand snakes. Uh, they scare me to death. Uh, I'm kind of like Jim Stafford. You know, I don't like spiders and snakes, either one of them. They just give me the, the creeps. But uh, a viper is a deadly snake. Now, John's just been spending 15 years in the desert. He knows what snakes are. There's a lot of snakes in the desert. And uh, I think... 
did a little research on this, and, and it's fascinating that in the desert, it, it can get up to 120 degrees in the desert there in the summertime. Um, it, and it can get so hot that sparks can happen when rocks uh, touch each other and different things. And, and uh, no doubt he had to create fire, you know, for himself to cook some animals. Who knows? He might have eaten snakes. I don't know. Um, but he, uh, it said, you know, it's a, there was an image that probably came to his mind that when he would start a fire or, or a spark or something that snakes would crawl out from where they were to, or, or would leave where they were to go and find, uh, refuge. They don't like the fire. They don't want to be near the fire. And so what an image to him, he, those worthless, evil snakes are trying to get away from the fire. And John says, you know, you people, he's calling them vipers. He's saying, you are worthless, evil snakes. Boy, that's not a great way to preach to people if you want to get their, get their, uh, get their understanding. And, but, but there's enough, enough anticipation in their life and there's enough uh, anxiety in their life that they're, they're hearing this. So they're, obviously some of them are being kind of cut to the quick because they go ahead and get baptized. But not everyone we know did. But he says to them, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? So he's calling them out for who they are, which is evil. And he's telling them there is a wrath to come. This is a word for all humanity. All humanity. All humanity has sinned. We've all sinned. And in that sense, we are all evil. Absent the spirit of God, we are evil. And we do evil things. And we're seeing evil things being done in our world today. You know, it, it, it is, I'm not, I'm not here to get political, but the way in which the man, George Floyd, was killed was evil. I don't understand it. I, I will never understand why that officer left his knee on that neck. I don't understand why he put his knee on the neck to begin with when he already had him in handcuffs, but... But I, I'm just telling you, it just I can't even watch it. I mean, everyone says, watch it, watch it. I, I, I know what happened, and I saw it just once, and I, I'm not watching it again. Because it's evil. And, and we, we see things happening in our world today. We, evil is happening all around us. And the violence, the looting that is happening, and the, the, the murders that are happening, just uh, people are being killed, police are being killed. It, it, it's a horrible, horrible time that that is in need <laughs> we're in need of a savior we're in need of repentance uh and and we're going to talk about what that is because they felt that too they felt their world was falling apart the romans were harsh the romans were uh, were not letting them be who they wanted to be who they thought they should be and they wanted a deliverer they wanted a savior but the savior that was coming was coming with wrath now we don't always like to think of Jesus coming with wrath um, because he came in such a loving ministry. But we must make no mistake about it for all who reject the love of Jesus and the salvation of Jesus, there is wrath to come. And he speaks about that. So let's look a little more. He says, um, so in that sense, you know, John's message in the bottom of, down at the end of what we read, it says that he continued in many other exhortations to, 
to preach the gospel. Well, John's gospel and Jesus' gospel are really two different gospels in a sense. Uh, because John's was a gospel of, uh, of terror in a way. You better repent because there is hellfire coming is what he's saying. Jesus didn't quite put it that way, although he did to those that he knew were very, uh, very evil like the Pharisees. But, but he actually, you know, Jesus had a lot of love in his heart and love in his, perfect love and, and high joy and glad. Thanks for being on today. Jesus was love incarnate. And he didn't have that harsh edge that John did. We saw him, dis we only have one record of Jesus ever being really harsh, and that was in the turning over the tables in the temple and uh, seeing what was happening there and cleansing the temple. And that wasn't even an anger, that was a righteous indignation, if you will. But in this, John's message is you need to bear fruits that befit repentance. Now, let, we need to learn a Greek word here today. And the Greek word for repentance or to repent is a verb in Greek called metanoia. M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A. Metanoia. Oh, see, that's what I get for not having it written down. M-E-T-O-N-O-I-A. I think I said it right. Metanoia. What, what does it really mean, though? I know you've heard it means go the other way, you know, turn around and go the other way. We've, we've all heard that. We've heard sermons and preachers. But I want to get a little deeper with you today because he's, he's telling people, immediately after he tells them that they need, need to repent, he's saying you need to bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. In other words, fruit that actually shows you have repented. There's a real... A connection here between good works or the fruit of their life, if you will, and a repentant life. What it means to live a repentant life. What it means to have really repented. Sometimes we confuse repentance with confession. Not the same at all. Okay, confession is asking, is is telling God for uh, that that we have sinned. And we confess to him and we ask for his forgiveness. But repentance is the life that we are to live after we've confessed. It is as, uh, the, if you look into the, uh, let me turn my computer over here to another page. Uh, and in, in Thayer's Greek lexicon, Thayer was a guy in the 1800s who was a scholar and, a, and a, uh, taught in seminaries and was a Greek scholar and he did a complete lexicon of the Greek words of Scripture, and it's an it's a incredible work. And he says this, I want to read it to you, as concerns what this word repentance really means. It, it doesn't mean just to change a mind, okay? Just change your mind about the way you live. Change your mind about the sins that you commit. <clears throat> you could say that it means to change your mind about anything. Maybe we change our mind about the, the styles we like or the foods we wear, and maybe that could be called uh, metanoia, but but in every case in Scripture where this is used, this word is used, and it's used in Scripture some 75 times, um, it, it means this. It means especially the change of mind of those who have begun to abhor their errors and misdeeds and have determined to enter upon a better course of life. 
so that it embraces, so that it is the life, so that the life embraces both a recognition of sin and a sorrow for it and a hearty amendment, the tokens and effects of which are good deeds. That is a great definition. Long one, but a great definition of repentance. Because what Thayer is able to bring to us here is this understanding that it, it's not just a simple changing of the mind. It, it isn't. When, we re, when we've truly repented, we don't do what we have been doing. Because we are going a different way. And we're really, truly bearing fruit. Jesus talked a lot about bearing fruit. You know, you will know the tree by the fruit. And a good tree does not bear bad fruit. There's a whole lot we could say about that. I truly believe in Christian theology that it is, it is good theology to believe that by the power of God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us, by His power, we are able to turn from sin and sin no more. As Jesus said to the woman at the well, go and sin no more. Now, <laughs> or the woman caught in adultery. I can't remember who he said it to. I think it was the woman caught in adultery. So, does that mean we'll never sin again? Well, I think theoretically, while that is possible, it's, it's not probable. I know it hasn't been true in my life, okay? Because I'm a weak human. I'm trying to get stronger. That's why we're doing this Bible study. We're trying to grow in God's grace so that we can stay in repentance. Repentance is not a one-time act. It's something we stay in, we live in. We continue to bear fruit. We continue to do good deeds. We continue to, to, to confess. Yes, we confess. This is why our definitions of sin in Christian theology be, begin to be so important. Because truly... Jesus came preaching repentance also. Jesus came and said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, which we'll see after John the Baptist's death when Jesus begins his public ministry. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is within you. And in that sense, he, goes, he continues to go on and say that we can go and sin no more. And even John, the writer of the gospel, the beloved apostle, says in his first epistle, brothers and sisters, little children, I'm writing to this to you so that you may not sin. So there is this ideal before us of a life above sin. Well, we better understand what that word sin means, okay? Hamartia in the Greek, hamartia, okay? H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. -A -A. And it means to miss the mark. Okay, it was, a, it was a sports term. When, a, when you shot an arrow at a target, if you didn't hit the target perfectly, you missed the mark. And that's the word used in the New Testament when Jesus talks about sin, whenever the apostles talk about sin. So we have to ask then, what's the mark? What's the mark we're aiming at? Are we aiming at being perfect like Adam was before he sinned? I hope not, because if we aim at that mark, we're going to miss it every time. 
because we are living in a sinful world. We're not living in the Garden of Eden before the fall. So what is the mark? Well, St. Paul tells us very clearly what the mark is in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. Now, in, in, in the common understanding of the people, sin had always been the law. The mark was the law, the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. This is your mark. Try and keep this law. And in trying to keep this law, you are, with, you are holy. That was the Old Testament covenant. But they knew they couldn't hit it. They just couldn't every time, try as they might. Many people tried. That's what it meant when Zechariah was devout in keeping the law. We know scripture teaches us only Jesus, the God-man, perfectly kept the law, which made him the perfect sacrifice for us. But to come back to this idea of the mark now, okay? So really, any deviation from the known law of God is a form of sin. But is that what Jesus is telling us when he's telling us to to keep our eye on the mark. No, Paul says it in Romans 13. He just says it flat out. He says, I'll just turn to it real quick because it's worth reading so that I, I paraphrase a lot and I don't want to lead you astray here, but I think this is so important. I didn't have it marked. It only take me a minute to get there. Romans chapter 13. And we're almost there. Um, okay, almost there. One more page. Romans 13, Paul's talking about our duties in this life, duties to the state, duties to our neighbor, duties to everyone. He says, oh, in verse 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Okay, fulfilled the law. Now, remember when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest law? They were trying to trap him on the Mosaic law. Which one's the greatest? And Jesus said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he just volunteered the second greatest law is just like it. It's equal to it. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor. And that's what Paul is saying. We, we should owe no one except to love one another. He says, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, <laughs> he just can't list them all. He says, if there's any other, if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, quote, and he quotes Jesus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, end quote. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. With the coming of Christ, with the coming of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the target, the mark, has changed. It's no longer the old law. It's the law of Christ. It's the law of love. The law of love. Now, that's important, really important, because in our humanity, before we know it, we can miss that mark. And that is a type of sin. But we can miss it not willfully in our human weaknesses. But make no mistake, 
we can miss it willfully too. And that is a big problem. When we willfully, willfully, that means with our own will, know what we're doing is wrong, but we do it anyway. That is the sin from which there is no forgiveness until we truly repent, truly turn around. The, the writer of Hebrews says it here. Um, boy, these are some of the scariest words in the Bible, and I actually thought I had them marked, but the, the note fell out of it, so let me turn to it real quick for you. The, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 says this, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Wow. If we sin willfully. So that tells us right there. It's possible to sin willfully. It's possible to sin not willfully. Okay. And the what happens in us and to us is different. We don't want to do either, okay? And so the, the pursuit of holiness is this life that, that, that rejects willful sin and pursues the love of God through the love of others, okay? Because it's clear, Scripture says, we can't love God if we don't love others. John says it very clearly. He says, he who does not love his neighbor does not love God. So uh, this all has so much to speak to our world today. Bearing fruit that befits repentance. Now, let me come back to the scripture because before I know it, I can just be preaching to you and I, I want to study the Bible with you, okay? Now, the people respond to John's words. The people respond, he, he, in a, he knows they're about to respond to his words. And he says, don't give me that excuse you always give. And that excuse is this, when he says, oh, we have Abraham as our father. He says, I tell you, God is able to raise up uh, children from Abraham from these stones. See, the Jewish mind had the way of thinking that it developed in God's people from Old Testament days was this idea of a racial superiority. They were God's chosen people, and they truly believed only they would be saved in the end, in the end of all time. So, I mean, you could convert. People did. People became Gentiles, became Jews, okay, so that they could be saved. But they believed that. Their nation of Israel, this nationalistic racial type of superiority, was their salvation. They really believed. You know, they knew they couldn't keep the law perfectly. Hey, but they're Jews, so they're going to make it. You know, And I'm not saying anything against Jewish people today. I love Jewish brothers and sisters. I love them. I've been to Israel twice, and I can't wait to go back again. Uh, but, um, and, and I, I mean, they're, they're, just, they're part of my heart. I want them to know Messiah. But I respect those that are, that are holy and devout and trying, like a Zechariah, and trying to to pursue the love of God and the love of others. So I'm not speaking anti-Semitic here at all. Please do not hear that. Okay, there's too much of that going on in our world. Way too much of it. There's no room for that in the life of a Christian. Just like there's no room for racism 
of any kind or form in the life of a Christian. None whatsoever. If I'm, God forbid I'm speaking to anyone today or that will ever, that will ever hear this, that none directly that, that really have a racist attitude. <laughs> You've got to repent. There is no room for that. God's creation of humanity are pure and equal in all their forms, in all their colors, in all their places, okay? No human being is superior to another human being, period. Never was. Not the Jews weren't superior to anyone in the Old Testament, even though they thought they were. That was the error of their ways. They were just chosen so that God could show his mercy and his love to the world through them and by their faithfulness. But they weren't faithful and kept going astray. And the same is true of us. We're Israel. The church is Israel. Paul makes that clear in the book of Romans. We're grafted in. The church is Israel of today. We're, we're God's chosen people. We're his body. We're the body of Christ. And we, if we just go astray, the world's not saved through us either. They're not going to see the gospel. So, God's people, the church, have a huge responsibility to love one another, to love everyone, not just other Christians. It's clear, very clear, that this, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' stories about the Good Samaritan, it's very clear that everyone is our neighbor, and we have to love everyone, period. No period end of discussion. Now, come back to Scripture with me. He warns them that if they don't bear fruit, that befits repentance. There's wrath waiting to come. He even uses these words. Uh, now, this is when the people ask him, well, what should we do? I mean, they are convicted. What shall we do? And, and he gives, there, there are three things here, two things that he gives them to do. Uh, there are three things that I think are the hallmark of John the Baptist's ministry. And I'll give you the, the third one, and the first, and that was that he knew who he was. And he knew he wasn't the Messiah. And because they start questioning him, maybe this guy's the Messiah. I mean, he can preach pretty well, and he's got a lot of, tr he's really cutting our hearts with a, a strong truth that you were convicted. So they think maybe he's the Messiah. And he tells them very clearly in verse 16, I'm not. There's one who's coming after me who's mightier than me. I'm just baptizing you with water. He's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. I wish we had more time to talk about that. We'll get to it eventually. Okay. But, but right now, he tells them the other two things that are clear about the ministry of John the Baptist. He preached that to bear fruit befitting repentance was to live a life that, number one, was giving. Okay, He told these people in verses 10 and 11, he, he answers them, If you've got two coats, give one away to, to someone who need, needs it. If you've got food in abundance, give some of it away to those who don't. There is no place in the life of God's people for hoarding, for having, and for even having an overabundance. And I know that is counterintuitive to the American way of life. We are the most materialistic, the most consumeristic people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. We need to repent from that. We have too much stuff. Uh, and if I'm offending you, I love you. I'm sorry, but it's just true. We've got it. We 
wow, I, I, I got to move on. That, that just really gets me riled up. Okay, now, the other thing he said is not only is life a life that is giving, the life of God's people is a life that is working. Tax collectors come to him. Soldiers come to him. And they ask, well, what do we do? And he immediately points out the error of their ways. They cheated people in their work. They took advantage of people in their work. What John the Baptist is saying is you go be content with what you have. You be content with the work you have and you work at it as unto the glory of God. That's what John the Baptist is saying. So we see God's people are called to live a life that's giving and to live a life that is working. Working in the kingdom, doing good works so that others may see and know the love of God. And he says, if we don't, guess what? Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's talking about the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, he says his winnowing fork is in his hand. This is an image that they understood very well. Okay, They would bring in the grains uh, from harvest, and they would have a threshing floor, Okay, and they would use a, a winnowing fork. It's like a pitchfork in a way, and they would dig into it, and they would throw it up in the air, and it would settle out. And the chaff was the stuff that was, un, that was not needed, not good to eat. The, the, just the, the, the uh, skins, if you will, on the grain of wheat or something, and they would just fall away. So he's separating the good from the bad with a winnowing fork. And he goes on to say that the chaff, that which is not necessary for the grain, for us to eat, that it's good, the chaff is burned in an unquenchable fire. Now that's a direct direct mentioning of hell. Hell is real. We don't have time to go into all that hell is, but it is real. It is a doctrine that we have to understand. Now, it says that John went on with so many exhortations to preach the good news to the people. I've got some notes here. I've just been going on and on and I missed a couple of notes that I want to come back to real quickly here. Um, on page 60 of my commentary, there's a, there's a comment by St. Cyril of Alexandria, one of the great early church fathers. And this is really good stuff. We need to hear this. He says, John being chosen for the apostleship was also the last of the holy prophets. And for this reason, as the Lord has not yet come, he says, prepare the way of the Lord. What is the meaning of, quote, prepare the way of the Lord? Well, it means this. Make ready for the reception of whatever Christ may wish to do. I want to read that again. Make ready for the reception of whatever Christ may wish to do. He goes on. Withdraw your hearts from the shadow of the law. Discard vague figures and no longer think perversely. Make the paths of our God straight. For every path that leads to good is straight, and every, and it's smooth and it's easy. It's straight, smooth, and easy, he says. But the one that is crooked leads down to wickedness, those who walk in it. St. Cyril of Alexandria. Wow, beautiful. A very clear call that what we're to do is to... Is to make ready, and, and I want to give that to you today as we kind of come to some closing thoughts today. Um, I think this is such a powerful 
story for today in the, the place we find ourselves in. The beauty of God's word is that it, it is for all time and all places and all people. Okay, everything that was written 2,000 years ago, we can learn from and apply into our lives today. And do we ever need some, we need some fresh voices. We need some fresh, anointed, spirit-led, prophetic voices in our world today because we have such a polarization in our nation. Politics of today is driven to the polls, the, po the po polarization. Uh, friendships are being driven away in polarization. Uh, I dare say families are being broken in, in polarization. And at the heart of it all is sin. Sinful attitudes towards others. Racial superiority, racism. And, and, and we can't, let's, let's be clear about something. We, we're not going to eradicate racism from the face of the earth until Jesus comes back. It, that's, it's not going to happen. But it doesn't mean we can't try to do what we know is right, okay? We need to preach and live the love of Jesus Christ for everyone. There's no better place to do that than in the church. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say it. I really believe a lot of the blame for what is happening in our country right now it has to be shouldered by the church. The human nature of the church that has left itself the most segregated body in our country, quite frankly. In the 1960s, we passed law, in 70s, 60s, and 70s, we passed a lot of laws to try and bring harmony and, and equality to the races. But in many, 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 many places, the church didn't get that word. And uh, when that happens, wow, that's, that's scary. Because that's not Christ-like. That's not the gospel. That's not the message. It's not the message John the Baptist preached. It's not the message Jesus preached. It's not why Jesus died. It's not what he died for. So what do we do with today's lesson? What do we do? We, we all of us, myself included, we need to be searching our hearts, as St. Cyril said, and make ourselves ready, make our path, the path of our hearts. I told you John didn't come to make smooth roadways. He made paths of our hearts smooth for whatever Christ wants to do. And I guarantee you, Christ wants to do something in each of us, new and different. And, and renewing and refreshing. And not just for our sake. Spiritual renewal is never just for our sake. It's for us to give birth to others. It's for us to bring renewal to others. To bring love to others. That brings renewal to others. That's the message. Um, this Tuesday, okay, June 16th, in the evening at 7 o'clock, going to have a special edition of Facebook Live. And I see some uh, new ones have joined us a little bit ago. Cindy and, and Pam and Connie, thank you so much. 
I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to be posting later today a graphic. I'm going to create an event, and it's a graphic, okay, that talks about, uh, it's going to be, you're going to see, the title of it is A Bridge Over Troubled Water. The event is called A Bridge Over Troubled Water. And this was born out of my heart and my colleague in the counseling center, Scott Spradlin, uh, who's a wonderful therapist, Christian therapist. And uh, we both were talking about the the heartache of what's been going on these last couple of weeks. And, and, and you know, it just came to me, that word, a bridge over troubled, that song, I mean, a bridge over troubled water. Uh, bridge over troubled water. And I, I heard that, I said, we need somebody to build us a bridge over troubled water because we are living in troubled waters. And we need a bridge to get over it. And then I began to think about the words of that song. And the words of that song, the way they got over it was through self-sacrifice. It's not going to come. The bridge of over troubled water is not going to come by demanding our own way and saying our way is right. The bridge over troubled water is going to come when we learn to lay ourselves down for the other. Now, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know what all that looks like. I mean, if I did, I would publish some great manifesto and be the most famous guy in the world right now. I, I don't know what it looks like. I just know God's calling my heart to do it. Okay, so we're going to have a special version, 7 o'clock, Tuesday night, It'll be Facebook Live, and it'll be recorded for the podcast, this event called A Bridge Over Troubled Water. It's just going to be a discussion. Uh, and I might have a few more friends in it, too, uh, colleagues that, that can talk and just have a discussion. And you can write in. You can ask questions. And let's just let's see if we can learn together how to build a bridge over troubled water, this troubled water we're in. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you for studying the Word of God with me today. We end our scripture with the final thought in verses 18 through 20. John went on preaching the good news. He didn't give up, even though he got in trouble with Herod, because he was willing to call sin, sin. And Herod took his brother's wife, and that was wrong, and it was sinful. And forced his brother to have divorce and took his wife and divorced his own wife. And when it, John the Baptist called him out for it, Herod had him imprisoned. And we know eventually, as we'll learn, John is beheaded. So I want you to hear something. Uh, the bridge over troubled water isn't always safe, okay? But it's the only way. We can't stay on this side. We can't stay in the present condition we're in. And, and I need to be, though I've been called to be a healer. Okay, I'm not a politician. I'm not going to get political. The Tuesday night's not going to be about political. Okay, There's too much of that going on. As a pastor and a, and a counselor, my call is to be a healer in people's lives. And there's people on both sides of that bridge that need healing. And the same with my friend Scott, a therapist. So we're going to talk about healing we're going to talk about building bridges um and and it's i just hope you'll join us and be in prayer for others and i i want you to take when you see that when you see that uh graphic and that event started uh on facebook share it with your friends let's build people let's get people to watch and listen and hopefully uh hear the message of of good news 
that Christ loves us, that Christ died for all of us, and that we need to build a bridge over this. So anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I just love having you on this Bible study. Uh, Pastor John, my friend, thank you for coming on today too. And I'm sure I missed a lot of names maybe while I was reading that lengthy scripture, but I so appreciate those of you that are on here. If I missed seeing your name, I love you. Thank you for coming into this ministry. Uh, I need your help. I need your support. Uh, the, the calling that I have from God is, is this ministry of, of preaching and teaching the Word of God. Uh, I, uh, it is, sometimes that involves counseling. Sometimes that involves Brad Riley Ministries. We're trying to do a lot of work. I'm going to be pastoring more in the future. I mentioned that last week in, in July in a, a small Methodist church down in Udall, and I'm really excited about that. And, uh, but I need your support. Um, because this is what God's called me to do. So if you can support anything, you can go to bradrodderministries.org and leave a donation. God bless you. Thank you. And if you can't, that's okay too. Um, uh, because we're trying to use that money to help build this ministry so that I can get out there. Churches are going to start opening up again. We're going to be able to again get out there and, and, and start meeting, even though the groups will be distanced and smaller, start meeting our churches are going to need renewal after this. People are going. People are hurting. Not being in church for three months is not good for us, okay? I understand why we had to do it, but it's not good for us. The scripture teaches us, don't forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. But do it all the more. Assemble all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the book of Hebrews also. So thank you so much. Let me pray for you as I close today. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for each person on this broadcast and each person who will ever hear it. Father, whatever I've said, if, it's, if I've said anything wrong, let them not hear it. Cover over it. Don't let anyone be misled. Check my spirit. And Father God, bless those who hear your word today through this broadcast. Your word of a call to repentance, a call to truly change their life and to bear the fruit that shows that change. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace that make that repentance possible. God, heal our land. Help us to repent and heal our land, heal our hearts. And we ask this in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you next week. I'll see you Tuesday, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock.